but they're an ancient, ancient color that is so light fast and color fast and reliable. Today on Woolen Spinning Radio, Rebecca and I had the pleasure of sitting down with Rebecca's mom, Linda Jennings, the dyer and curator of Color Storms. She is based in Maryland, USA, and created a small dye studio in her home. Specializing in natural dyeing, Linda creates amazing gradient sets, plays with various dye stuffs that that she is able to harvest locally, while also using some extract powders to be able to dye a variety of colors available to us in nature. Her enthusiasm for natural dyeing, natural fibers, and creativity is infectious. It was a pleasure to talk with her, hearing about her journey, and enjoying some time together. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Links to her website, Instagram, and more are available in the show notes and at patreon.com slash wool and spinning. That fascinates me. I just, it's, yeah, it's a lot of trouble to cut down branches and soak them and peel off the bark. And, but for some reason, I guess, I like the physical labor involved. I like going out and foraging for things. I'm, I'm active. I'd like to be active. In a world of store-bought items and a world that seems to never slow down, we make with our hands and tools. Here at Woolen Spinning Radio, we take a moment to breathe, to chat, to reflect. As the world continues in a whirlwind around us, we sit quietly at our spinning wheels with our knitting needles or on our looms. The gentle motion of twisting a spindle, watching it dropping slowly to the ground, or the click-clack of needles tapping against each other as we turn a heel, brings solace and comfort. We make with our hands because we love the process and value our handmade items. While they are never perfect, our yarns might be gently thick and thin or just plain over twisted. In this place, we discuss what it means to be a maker, to use our hands. Join us as I chat with others in our community about these ideas, challenges, and rewards. Thank you for your time spent here in this place. You are always welcome. I started knitting back when I was a young wife and my husband wanted to watch TV every night and all the romance was gone. (laughs) It's like, okay, if this is married life, I want to start, I want to start to knit. My mom had taught me to knit when I was a little girl and like most people I did stop, um, when I was a young adult, but then it was wonderful to pick it up again you know, when I was a young married person. And it's really funny now because a cliff watches hardly any TV and I'm the one that watches all the TV, but I just hate to sit in front of the TV and not do anything. So I took up knitting for a long, long time and was stuck in a rut until Rebecca began her design career and needed me to test knit. And I, that's one really, I knitted the same way for like 20 years. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big reader. I'm not a big experimenter. I tend to find something I like and then stay in it. But then when Rebecca needed me to do some test knitting, I'm like, I guess I am finally going to have to learn how to knit lace. I am going to have to learn how to um, do twisted stitches. Cables. um, Yeah. Well, I know I knew cable and I knew uh, fair isle. I'm, in uh, Tarsha, but I really hadn't done much with fair isle or twisted stitches or lace. Yeah, you and, did a lot of intarsia back yeah. in the day. A lot of big showpiece pullovers. Yeah. Yeah, she was very influential in my life. She really <laughs> was. She she started me dying. And eventually we did stuff together. And then she eventually kicked me out of the dying nest and said, Okay, I'm gonna go have your grandbabies. <laughs> you have to carry this on your own. And I'm like, mm, grown, grown, grown. But okay, yeah, I do want grandbabies. So, okay. <laughs> but she was very influential. I, I had a puppy and she was learning how to do natural dye. Those two moments came together. And while I was walking the dog 10 times a day, this little puppy, I was looking at all these natural plants that she was experimenting with. 
and especially pokeberry. My favorite color is red. So I had to try the pokeberries. Mm -hmm. I bought a fleece and I began experimenting on fleece first. And did pokeberries and all kinds of weeds and just got hooked. Seriously got hooked on it. I never wanted to open up a jar and just dye yarn. Mm. But for some reason, unlocking colors in nature fascinated me. Mm. And every color is different. And even though you think that would be difficult and intimidating for me, that was what was fascinated, fascinating for me. Mm -hmm. I wanted to learn how to unlock each of those colors. That's cool. But do you spin as well, Linda, or just dye? Yes. Yeah. So oh, how, yes. where did the spinning come in with all of this? I thought I wouldn't spin until maybe I was retired from homeschooling and my husband was retired. But Rebecca, we were at Sheep and Wolf Festival. Oh, come on, mom. You don't have to wait that long. Well, I, I don't remember. Was that before or after I bought mine? We bought them together. We bought, yeah, we bought them at the same time. Well, I got you yours first. Red. No. What was the little one called? You. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, you and dad got me the little brown one, the little antique castle wheel. The one that still comes apart into all the pieces and came from Europe and it's a bit of a mystery. Um, and then I ended up buying a traditional and I think we were at Sheep and Wool trying different wheels. And I knew I was probably going to buy a traditional from the yarn store I was working at at the time. And so you ended up getting one as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I didn't try a bunch out. They, they, had, they had one single drive and one double drive. And I said, okay, I'll just try the double drive. I bought that. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad I did. It just happened to be one time when I was spontaneous and it actually worked out. I love my Ashford double drive. The wow. traditional yeah 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 i'm a single wheel lady that's all i've ever had mm -hmm. and i just love it and really have enjoyed learning from you rachel oh thank you so thank you. many things mm. that i would never have tried if not for listening to your podcast oh thank you linda that's very sweet thank you yeah so what made you make that jump from learning with rebecca starting to explore the natural dye world to wanting to start color storms? Uh, we, I was part of her company first. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Osborne Fiber Studios was originally, I was dyeing yarn with natural dyes. Yeah. Years um, ago. Right. Yeah. And, and you re when you took over it from when I quit and you wanted to keep going, you, that's when you rebranded as color storms. Yeah, I learned the sort of business model of dyeing yarn, creating labels, going to festivals, meeting people. And when I was helping her, I saw there were a lot of ladies my age doing this. And I thought, wow, I think I'd really love to be part of that community. Mm. And it's that has been the best part of the whole experience. I love festivals. I love talking with customers and finding out their experiences with natural dyes. But my favorite thing is being part of an artistic community. Mm. And you've got quite a community where you are. Yes. Yes, there are lots of women doing um small businesses mm -hmm. and I have Excuse a whole me. like I wrote down a list of um, maybe six or seven people that have influenced me seriously over the past 10 years and um, Rebecca being the first but there were many other people who took a chance on me um, or asked me to teach my first class um, and then just this past year, I was part, I became part of the uh, fiber art studio tour, which goes to your question on the lots of um, community support. Mm. There are um, six women in the fiber art studio tour that are in the uh, Maryland Chesapeake Bay area. Well, 
really Maryland west of the Chesapeake Bay area. And we all have our little businesses. And once a month, we open up our studios and invite people to come by. And Oh, cool. Being part of that group has helped me become more professional. It's helped me be more experimental, um, take more challenges, more risks. Yeah, and you created a beautiful little shop space in the basement of the house, which is really nice. Thank you. Yeah, so I have a little store in my home and create kind of a series of signs, which brings people to the back door. And we also have a trained garden. My husband is an avid garden railroader. Okay. Yeah. When people come to my back door, they're first amazed by my husband's beautiful, beautiful train layout. Cool. So they get to see that as well as um, then come in and, and see my yarns. And sometimes they have questions about how I die. And other times they want to tell me their experiences or they just want to look at the beautiful yarn and be inspired. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you have just like stuck with it for a long time. Like there were a lot of years there where you were just kind of making the yarn and going to the alpaca festival and not a lot of people were giving you a lot of attention, but you just kind of hung in there and kept making connections and networking. And it, it took a while. It took longer than I would have had the patience for. Yeah. But you kind of just, you really hung in there for like 10 years. Thank you. Yeah, that was hard. That was hard. When I was first starting, I remember Rebecca could just go on Facebook and say, okay, I need some pokeberries. Everybody tell me if you got any pokeberries. And she'd get like 10 answers. Like, mm. how did you get that network of all those people? Mm. And I remember you telling me, well, mom, you just meet people and it takes time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just showing up at festivals, I met people. Mm-hmm. And one person would ask me to do a um, one shop at looking at my stuff at a festival would ask me to do a trunk show. Another gal met me and she said, oh, wow, do you do um, um, orders for resale? There's a better word for that. Wholesale. Wholesale. Do you do, you do wholesale? And she bought, she was like my first big order. Uh, I did like a thousand dollars worth of yarn for her. She was one of the first people who believed in me, who believed in me, Janet Garman. Mm. And she and I have teamed up for classes and she um, has come and spoken at a couple classes I've done. And she's, she's a book writer. Mm. So she's a really good experimenter and student. Whereas I focused on kind of learning a good 10 colors and then wanting to be consistent. Hmm. So I have recipes and I, um, try, I try to be able to reproduce the same colors over and over and over again so that I can put a color up on a website. And then when I run out, I want to make that same color again or something very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but every year I'm also experimenting and wanting to add a few colors but it's not my strong suit. You know, my, my gifts are more in maybe like you're saying perseverance (laughs) in continuing the same thing. I Mm. just love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That takes me into um, one of the things that I was thinking about um, in prepping for this, I was, I was wondering if you wanted to talk a little bit about the plants that you dye with and the colors that you try to, um, achieve and what you look for in the plants that you dye with. Do you dye with extract at all? Like, do you use the powdered extracts or do you try to go from the plants? You just wax poetic about (laughs) all of those things. Yeah. How, how you develop like natural dye. I feel like it, I might be wrong because I don't, I'm not a dyer and I don't know a lot about dyeing, but you know, just in watching other people, I feel like with natural dyes, you really have to develop um, 
a technique that you're comfortable with and sort of there's that, you know, unknown piece of it that, that, you know, you don't, like you were saying about, you've got your dye recipes and you've got all your stuff, but like, but it's not as exact as say dying from like acid dyes where you have the, the brand that you use, the amount, the powder, the water, do you know what I mean? So um, yes. I feel like natural dyeing takes a lot more um, time to develop your identity as a dyer, maybe, or your, your confidence as a dyer, I might be wrong, but I feel like there's this whole other thing that happens with natural dyeing. That's maybe not quite the same with some of the other, um, chemical dyes. Probably it, it seems like, um, most people prefer a more simple formulaic approach and they like the techniques of different kinds of effects. Mm. I mean, with, with acid dyes, actually applying the color is pretty easy. So you can experiment with all different kinds of um, blends and effects. And that's, that's really cool. There are Mm -hmm. colors I can't get in acid dye and and they're beautiful Mm -hmm. and natural dyeing. It did take me a few years before I, was ready to explore different techniques. You know, I started with solids and semi-solids on my yarn. So for example, one of my early colors was working with pokeberry because I had them right in my yard. I kind of, I live on a property that's three acres and I have access to lots of wild pokeberry. So I could play with that. And so I learned Pokeberries, if you if you heat it up a certain amount, it produces one color. If you heat it up a little more, then it produces that fire engine red. And then if you fold it and put some in early and then take it out later, and it, you can get a couple colors on the same hank. So all the ins and outs of that, they do take time and experimenting. And then... I, Yes, I used extracts because they are closer to using acid dyes. It is more like unscrewing a jar, adding some powder to liquid, and then um, getting getting a color. But you still have to mordant most yarns first. And mordanting is a pro it's a separate process. So it's an extra step you have to do in natural dyeing where the yarn gets a warm bath um, of usually aluminum sulfate, which is a pretty mild chemical. It's the same stuff you use to keep your hydrangeas blue in the garden. Yeah. So your gardeners would be familiar with aluminum sulfate. Everybody here a- jokes because it's in our soil here, because all hydrangeas here are blue. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have, like, if you use, um, like potting soil around your hydrangeas here, everybody knows that you've like, that you just planted them or they came from the nursery or they're in a pot because they're like all the beautiful colors of like the pink and the red and like your gorgeous t-shirt and stuff. And then as soon as they've been in the ground for a little, like for a couple of years, they turn blue. (laughs) Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a running joke here. Mm-hmm. all the random so things. That, that's a separate step with natural dyeing having to mordant the yarn um so you have to do that even with a lot of your extracts yeah so examples of extracts would be cochineal and logwood lac and um um, some other things that I've just started using recently are, we call it Q-Red, Quabach, I don't remember it. It's like Q-U-E-B-R-A-C-H-E, something like that. I'm yeah, yeah. not as familiar with it. So they, these extracts are really helpful because the, the trees and the, the bugs, you know, cochineal and lac, they're dried bugs grown in South America. They're not easily accessible here, mm-hmm. but they're an ancient, ancient color that is so light fast and color fast and reliable. So I just really appreciate being able to get them at all in any form. Yeah. 
Um, as far as other materials that I forage, I do still forage besides the pokeberry. I forage for um, black walnuts because they produce a gorgeous chocolate brown. And when you know what you're doing, you get all kinds of shades of chocolate brown. And it turns out that you can blend walnuts with pokeberries and get this gorgeous gradient set from brown to red, going through all these various shades of red and brown and brown and red until you get to the red side. So that was really fun when I discovered that. Um, I also forage for... Um, some weeds that come up in the spring, henbit and dead nettle are good little weeds. Um, but the problem with them is that you need a whole big pot full in order to just make one hank. So it's kind of a specialty thing that I'll pop and maybe a gradient set will get, you know, my one hank with the dead nettle. You, you do, maybe we should tell people you do a lot of gradient sets. Mm. It's one of your biggest products that you developed, is, you know, kind of before mini skein sets or around the time that mini skein sets were becoming a thing. You were making these little gradient mini skein sets. Yeah. Uh, and I started yeah. out in worsted weights. So that was a little mm -hmm. unusual. Most people do gradient sets and fingering. fingering yeah. But um, I started in worsted weight because I love sweater yarn. Mm -hmm. The first knitting I ever did was sweaters. It took me a long time to learn to knit socks. So I do now have a whole line of fingering yarn and some DK, but yeah, that was later in my mm -hmm. development of the business. Mm -hmm. You did apple tree for a long That's time. That's true. Yeah. yeah. My parents had an apple tree and when you cut off branches and you cut them to uh, like a 12 inch length and stuff them all in a dye bucket and soak them. You get this gorgeous yellow. And then after you soak the branches, you trim off some of the bark. And it turns out if you dye with all the bark on the branches, you get a really soft yellow. And then it turns out if you, the more you shave the bark off the branches, you get a brighter and brighter and brighter yellow. So one of the gradient scents I developed before my apple tree died, before the apple tree died, which is so sad. <laughs> I remember when I saw that last yellow gradient scent that was made with apple bark. Yeah, so it's just a matter of, several different dyes with peeling more and more of the bark off. Wow. So that fascinates me. I just, it's, yeah, it's a lot of trouble to cut down branches and soak them and peel off the bark. And, but for some reason, I guess I like the physical labor involved. I like going out and foraging for things. I'm, I'm active. I like to be active. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we live in a really pretty place too. Yeah, yeah. Um, how do you choose your yarn bases then? Because you're a spinner, so like, because you do fiber too, right? I think because I got yes, the Coopworth from you, um, right? And that was wasn't that apple bark? Yes, the yellow. Yeah, you got some of my apple bark, yeah. right? Yeah, some of those fiber packs were done before the tree died. That's right. Oh, I wondered. Yeah, as you were telling, as you were saying about the tree dying, I was like, oh, I wonder how that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because yeah, Rebecca gave me a little bit more. I was running out. <laughs> the, the, in the peach tree, does the peach tree have they, the same? They replace it with the peach tree, but the peach tree only dyes a very, very soft yellow or gold. It doesn't give me that nice, pretty yellow. Not the so. Same. I I searched for a long time. For a replacement for that yellow and I finally landed on um Osage oh yeah Osage comes in little chips in a bag it's something I buy um although I've been hearing more and more about Osage trees growing in the midwest and they might grow well here in Maryland I might plant one just to see um did I lose the thread you don't know uh, do you, uh, what, what are you dying on? Like what, oh, what kind right. of pieces and fiber bases. and yarn yes, and about the bases? Um, I think I was first attracted to the 50, 50 alpaca 
wool. And that, I had 50-50 alpaca wool from the very beginning. And then a couple years later, I introduced a merino and tensile yarn, meaning um, tensile being kind of a sea cell. It's a plant-based. yeah. Yeah, fib fiber that um, gives a real nice shine and softness to the yarn. My customers loved that base because the alpaca wool was very soft, but it was a great sweater yarn, but the merino tensile was super soft next to the skin. And I sold that for about five years and then nobody makes it anymore. Really? I can't find it. Oh. So most of my yarn now is either 50-50 um, alpaca wool or a... Um, you know, super wash wool. Um, the fingering is super wash wool and, and nylon. And I have experimented do making some yarn myself with and creating some non-super wash yarn. One of our customers are asking for non-super wash now. That's been interesting. Oh, you've you noticed, noticed that, that too? Yeah. yeah. Have you, have you noticed that too? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. I, have you, Rebecca? It's been so long since I've been in a yarn shop um, regularly that uh, I wouldn't know. I mostly have spinning people. And yeah, it seems like there was a lot of education around superwash um, and the processes and how there can be good and can be bad. Um, uh, but I think... I think the bloom is off that rose of mm -hmm. like, oh, it should just be machine washable. Mm -hmm. I think we're, I think we know that that's not the only thing to look for anymore. Yeah. So I, I feel like my fingering, my fingering yarn is kind of what's expected, kind of the superwash nylon wool that a lot of people like. And superwash does dye a little darker yeah. than on superwash. So it's nice for dyers. But the unique yarn that I have, that um, wool and alpaca base, is a little bit unique. And so sometimes people are so happy to see my yarns because it's not the typical superwash merino. Mm -hmm. You know, so. Mm -hmm. And it does also dye beautifully. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah, it's, I think the alpaca takes the color a little bit differently. So then you get those that little bit of nuance in the yarn. Mm -hmm. What were we going to yeah. say, Rebecca? Oh, I think you're watching from a distance. I saw your work really change when you learned how to do that resist dipping technique. Because mm -hmm. the thing about natural dyeing is you can't hand paint with it. Yeah. Like you're limited to dip dyeing, kettle dyeing, those kinds of techniques. And you can get solids and semi-solids, but that's all you were doing for a long time. And maybe there were some, you know, split dipping. I tried some of that, but it didn't mm -hmm. ever go very well. Um, right. You know, then I had the Eureka moment. <gasps> I wonder if this would work. And it all came from my guild. My knitting guild has, has one of those people that believed in me early. And they asked me to, to teach, to do a workshop with them. And during the second workshop that I did with them, I tried tying rope around yarn for kind of a resist method. And that was, that was, that was a fail because it was just too tedious of a method. But as I was observing that fail and thinking, well, what would work? And so I came up with the idea of just twisting the yarn like you normally do when you see yarn in yarn shops. Yeah, game. in a skein. Yeah. When you see a skein in yarn shops, it's twisted in a certain way, yeah. right? So if you put it in the dye bath like that, yes, like that, it's called a skein, you're saying, when it's twisted? Or a hank or whatever. Yeah, a skein I mean, or a hank, yeah. I mean, it's, this, is this, this is technically a skein, and when it's in a big loop, it's technically a hank, and when you twist it up, it doesn't have a different name. It's just you twisted it. I always wondered about that. Okay, so a twisted <laughs> hank. <laughs> Yes, and it turns out if you put in a hank of yarn, twisted already, 
it acts like tie dye. You yeah. get short repeats. Yeah. And all the world, I guess, four or four years ago, were fascinated with short repeats and speckled dye. And I was like, oh, what can I do that's like that? And so then I would un dye it like that, unwrap it, let it dry, and then retwist it. Mm. And put it in a new color. Right. Mm. And then take it out, untwist it, let it dry, retwist it, put it in a new color. And then so you can imagine. Oh, that's you get all kinds of color mixes that way. Mm-hmm. I still remember when you sent me pictures of what you made with that. And I was like, how did you do this? What <laughs> is this? And then um, later, you know, you'd explained it to me a couple of times, but I just, I just wasn't getting it. I didn't understand what you're saying <laughs> beyond my braining. Um, but then that method came up in the school squeak Georgia dying class that I watched. It was like, oh, this is what you're talking about. So that's kind of cool. It's perfect for natural dyeing because the only way the colors stick in natural dyeing is they have to be heated. Yeah. At 180 degrees is the magic number. It's generally a, a heat dye method, not a cold dye method. Happy children. Yay. Are they just coming back from somewhere? Yes. So the twisted, the twisting of the yarn gave me that ability to make short repeats and really an unlimited number of color mixes. Um, now, what about consistency in that situation where you're, because you're doing all that layering now. So then how do you, like, do you just keep really accurate notes or... Is there, is that where some of that nuance comes in? Like, what, how do you manage that in terms of repeat, repeatability? It is the least repeatable yeah. <laughs> of all the colors that I make. Solids are easy, right? And even semi-solids and um, some simple multicolored yarn is not too hard. But yes, those those ones with 12 different colors on the same hank made in that method, I keep very close notes. I kind of have a, have a, an action tree of what goes in when, <laughs> and it's especially fun if I'm doing 12 colors at once and I'm like, okay, these six go in here and then they come out and then we retwist them and then they go, they swap with each other and they go and this one and this one, it's, it's quite an adventure. One time I challenged myself to make 12 Hanks in one week. Could I do it? Children colorways? Yeah. Oh, my word. And I did. I just wanted to see if I could be a producer. Let's say someone called me and said, Color Storms, I love your work, but could you deliver 100 hanks of 12 different colors in a week? I don't know. You know, sometimes you just imagine the big break moment. You know? Totally. <laughs> the famous person calling and saying, are you ready for success? <laughs> I want to... <laughs> Buy a hundred hanks of your blah, 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 blah. And so, you know, I'm just fantasizing. You would die. You would be like, no, put that phone down. <laughs> or she'd call you, Rebecca, and be like, how quickly can you get down here to help me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Be like, are they, are they buying enough to pay for my ticket? I'll calm down. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, I was part of the fiber art, the fiber art studio tour now. And I wanted to challenge myself mm-hmm. and see, I think actually I had just taken my very, very first class in acid dye. I finally, finally, after 12 years learned to, I took an acid dye class and oh, it was wonderful. I loved it. It's like, okay, what can I do in a week? You know, <laughs> I mean, you have to be ready for that big break if it ever happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway it was just kind of a fun challenge and it's um the colors are different every single time when I I have a very favorite color called Bloomin which was inspired by my trip to um Switzerland mm-hmm. um I have a very good friend out in Switzerland who invited me there for a couple of weeks in the fall and 
there are just flowers galore in her town around the houses. It was just so beautiful. They have flower gardens where you can just put in a few dollars and then just go pick your own flowers, whatever you want. And then they just have a little box. You put the money in. Nobody mans it. It's just there. So I made a colorway based on flower colors. And every single time I do it, <laughs> it comes out a little differently. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then I have to post a new picture on my website. Okay. This is what Bloomins looks like this time. How cool is that? That's so neat. So where do you get some of your inspiration, Linda? Because you're incredibly creative, just like your daughter. Um, where, where, where do you tend to, yeah, get your inspiration from what motivates you, what inspires you? Most of my inspiration honestly comes from other people. Mm -hmm. I'm, I would classify myself as a slow learner. I don't read a lot. I'm just the opposite of Rebecca. She just sucks up books, you know, like they're candy I read one paragraph and then I want to spend three months experimenting with it. Mm -hmm. I'm a, I'm a, I, ha, I learn by doing. Mm -hmm. um, so I only bring out a, a couple new colors every year. Mm -hmm. So that year, you know, I was inspired by the flowers in Switzerland. Um, sometimes I'm inspired by a mistake I make. <laughs> like oh I didn't know that that was going to produce that color that um was I made I made the um the flower of Marilyn is a black-eyed Susan which is yellow black and then the Maryland Maryland flag colors you know are yellow black and red and one day my purple turned so dark that it was more like black and I ended up something that looked like black eyed Susans instead of whatever the heck I was trying to make. And I was like, oh, I think I've come up with a new colorway. This looks just like the American, you know, the Maryland flag. Let's call this black eyed Susan. So mm -hmm. Sometimes it happens that way. Were you ever able to reproduce that? I haven't yet. It's brand new. Oh, it's brand new. <laughs> brand new mistake. Okay. Um, Obviously, you know, I still love to be outside and I, we live in a beautiful place. So um, I made um, a brown, brown and blue color just through the sheer beauty of being out here is um, I love the blue sky and the brown trees. So I've made various versions of a blue and brown from that. Um, but often my inspiration comes from, from other people. Um, I don't take a lot of classes. I don't let very many people teach me because I'm a, I'm a slow learner. I don't, I, I get easily intimidated. So I usually will take one class per year and then really try to absorb what I learned from that. And then, and then I just kind of have an internal process where I have to make that mine, you know, just through experimenting and time. And I'll try one thing. Mm -hmm. And um, most recently, Jackie Otino, I took one class from her. She is a, she is kind of a, a famous natural dyer in her circles. And she Filled in some, a couple of gaps that I didn't know about and helped me to do more experience, more, more experimenting. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, like I said, Janet Garman uh, is a great experimenter. She got me trying more things. This, the, the past few years, I finally started planting mm -hmm. plants. Mm-hmm. So I planted um, um, this year, Japanese indigo, matter root. Those are both, you know, old time, old, old world, famous, reliable colors. But I 
I'm not a gifted gardener. I've tried and failed with that before. Kind of learned the secret of gardening is cheap poop. <laughs> you know, plants love manure of any kind of herbivore. Mm -hmm. And that's really helped my gardening. So I grew some Hopi Red and Woad. Hopi and Red being amaranth, right? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. That is the proper name for it. And various flowers and had some success a couple of years ago, failed last year, didn't add any animal manure. And now I know, okay, animal manure success, animal manure, no animal manure, no success. So this year I made sure to add the animal manure and I used a wonderful gardener. Um, Putnam Hill. I didn't try to grow my my plants from seeds. I just bought the little baby plants from Putnam Hill, and boy, did they take off. Mm. Rebecca and I were just dying with some Japanese indigo today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, do you want to tell us about that? Oh my gosh! Yeah, well, you have this new dye process you wanted to try that you never tried before. Mm -hmm. You've dyed with indigo for years, mostly from. Extract. Mostly from extract, although you have used. I dyed with woad. I, oh, I you used, used woad for the, for the first time. Just the same chemical as is in indigo. Yeah. Um, but you, your friend wrote this book. Janet you, Garman. Yeah, right? right. Janet wrote this book and she has a totally different dye process in there where you just harvest your leaves, uh, put them in ice water, put them in a blender and make like indigo smoothie. Um, just keep the whole thing cold and throw your yarn in a pot like with this indigo smoothie and you just leave it there for like 20 minutes and you had the idea to put it in a garment bag because you don't want to be rinsing out all those leaf bits from your yarn yuck yeah um put a, I put the yarn in a laundry bag right put yeah. the yarn in a laundry bag but it's supposed to make this sort of minty green and it worked. It worked. Oh my yeah. gosh. It was so fun. A friend came by just randomly bringing um, something, a sample, yeah. a sample to Rebecca. So she joined us. We were just sitting around in a circle, you know, pulling off the leaves of the indigo plant, chatting, you know, that was fun. Throwing them and into the blender. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And, and you have to worry about food safe. Like what about your, the state of your blender in that, in that situation? Fortunately, I had an old blender. I saved oh, my old blender. And I thought of my husband and I thought, you know, he'd probably really like it if I use my old blender and not the family blender. So for his sake, I did. We used the old blender and we put yeah, down fine. towels. We did it in the garage. Yeah, but I, honestly, the blender looks pretty clean. I think it probably would be fine. Yeah, yeah. So, well, no. like, is it that concentrated? Like, that's where natural dyes and well, all dyes. Like, the 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 issue is in the toxicity and the concentration. Like, the amount mm. of this concentrated substance. Um, so, like, would the leaves be that concentrated that it would not be food safe anymore? I don't know. It's not a concentrate. It's just the leaves. So. That's the thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, see, I leave that to my more learned colleagues who like to read about that stuff and find out those answers. I don't care. I just have my blender, my old blender. I'm going to use the old blender because I, I'm lucky enough to have a new one. So um, I'm just so happy it actually worked. I put in some mordanted yarn and some unmordanted yarn just to see how it would be different. Keep yeah. talking. And amazingly it did take the yarns differently the yarns that were mordanted did turn into a darker grassier green mm -hmm. the unmordanted yarns were more that minty green like that uh, green. janet very first cool. describes yeah janet describes in her book um i even put in some yarn that had been mordanted in vinegar which is what you use for pokeberries and and the Hopi red. Oh, okay. What's the name again? Um, amaranth. Amaranth. Those are the only two things I know that use a vinegar mordant. Um, and it looks like it worked. So it's a really strong, amazing plant. 
and it does grow in Maryland, oh, which yeah. means it can grow in lots of different places. I used to see it walking around Pittsburgh, you know, <gasps> rocking around um, Ambridge, town outside of Pittsburgh I used to leave. It grows in like unkempt sidewalks. You know, it's one of those super hardy plants. It just grows like a weed. And you'll see it and be like, huh. Because it's got those teeny tiny seeds that you can grind up into a flower. It's a gluten-free flower that some people use. So see, yeah, this I is great. Grow. This is great. This is so new for me to be experimenting. This is new for Linda and Color Storms. It's not my strong suit. We've always experimented though. But much less than like Janet and you and other see, people. I had, this is why I quit. Oh, I had no patience <laughs> for experimenting at all. I was like, okay, I can get a red. I can get a, I can get a blue. I can get a yellow. That's all I need. I've got these, you know, I've got the three primaries. I can make any color, right? Wrong. You know, and I just, I wasn't getting super nice colors. Uh, and I didn't understand why. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I was very impatient now I'm much more at a place where I can slow down. I want to try all the things. I want to take time. I want to do the experiments and mm-hmm. I have the patience for the process mm-hmm. and the experimenting and the experimenting for me is kind of the goal now. And now I feel much more comfortable just like doing a lot of experiments and finding ways to use them. And I don't feel the need to very often make like a big consistent quantity for some reason. So what changed? Uh, yeah, I've changed. What changed? Oh, what changed? Yeah. I think I It's it's really hard to describe. I don't know I don't know when it happened, but it just became about the process and um I I think probably what helped the most was watching some really good classes and um you know I got a craftsy subscription and that led to cake mayhem and all the rest of it but you know I started wanting to try all the things and and seeing how helpful it was to break it down into all the steps because I can be very product oriented I can be very impatient And if you're just trying to get to the end goal and you don't have a firm grasp of the process then you keep getting like hiccups along the way, Mm -hmm. right? You're like, so you're ready to start. Oh, wait, I need this, this, and this. Okay. I'm ready to start. Nope. You need to do this, this, and this first, but having somebody explain the process and be like, okay, before you start, you need all these things for your mise en place. Like they say in cooking, you get all your things ready and then you can do it. And you have such an enjoyable process mm-hmm. that just made the process so much more fun. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, blogging about everything made like the process was part of what I was producing. Um, and it's the same thing with videos. But yeah, I, uh, I'm not, I'm not trying to make yarn to sell anymore either. Like, Mm -hmm. I never really had that much interest in that to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um, So not having that on my plate really helps because once you're having to produce, whether it's cake or food or yarn, once the, once you're starting to have to just produce a lot of product for somebody, I don't know, for me, that sucks a lot of the joy out of the process. Mm -hmm. Um, sure it's not like that for everybody but definitely yeah for me. right and for whereas for me I love that mm-hmm. I love that for I, I just had a lady the other day who bought one of my gradient sets and then she took a class that Valerie Moreno and I taught together Valerie is another person who helped who influenced me Valerie Moreno is the knitting fairy godmother she and I taught a class together so we dyed yarn specifically for her pattern. Mm, cool. And it was a nice, it was a nice break. I mean, I, I love, I think my students have loved my classes. Um, and I used to teach seven colors in three hours. And then I backed off and no, let's, let's do three or four colors in three hours. Um, and sometimes, and so I've learned that simplifying things is often better. 
But with Valerie, we only, each person only got to dye one hank. Mm -hmm. They got to choose two colors and it was toward her pattern. It was, she does assigned pooling techniques. So um, I don't know if you've seen those patterns where like, say you've got a two color yarn and you kind of knit along for a while and then you, when you hit the other color, you make a little bobble or a nup or something. You concentrate the color and then you keep going. It creates some really unique looking patterns and, and it plays two specific yarns. So you were dyeing, you were dyeing yarn with a specific technique to make a type of knitting and crochet pattern that is specific and very, yes. very unique. Yeah. So that was a really neat way to do it. Something different. Exactly. Um, so then, and that again goes to the community that I was saying, you know, I, I learned so much from her um, and from Janet Garman and being part of the Fiber Studio Tour. It's, it's great because by myself, you know, I'm so one dimensional. Mm, I feel like one, you know, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. But then when, when I, I gradually over the years learn how to let more people into my, into my heart, into my brain, into my sphere of influence. I guess at the beginning I was kind of like, no, no, just leave me alone. I got to figure this out by myself. You know, and so I went through several years where I just, I just had to work it out by myself mm. because other people intimidated me. And then I got to a place where it's kind of like, okay, I know A, B, C. Now maybe I can go on and learn a little more. I was able to allow other people to come in and influence me and learn more and better techniques. And then, and then a few years later, I allowed more people to come in and teach me to be a better businesswoman, um, more in varied methods, uh, more experimenting. You know, here I am growing plants and, you know, I have a black thumb, you know, and, and so I feel like the power of letting other people come in that's been, that's been my big growth as a person and in my business and letting them um, influence, give me new ideas and teach me new things. And that's, I really, I really, it's helped me enjoy the business even more. You know, I, I, when I started this, I promised myself that I would do it for 10 years. That was, that was it. And I'm in year, I'm in year nine. And I'm like, you know, maybe I'm not in such a big hurry to quit. Maybe I'll keep going because with my dying and knitting community that I'm learning to be part of and who have let me be part of it, you know, it's a lot more fun. Mm -hmm and enriching and it, and it gives me more to give out to the community. Recently I've joined um, the Chesapeake Fiber, the Chesapeake Fiber Shed, the Chesapeake Fiber Shed group. And they are really working on um, all the dye plants in the Chesapeake Bay area. Oh man, a few years ago, I could never have been part of that. It would have been too intimidating. Hmm. You know, it would have been too different from what I'm already doing, but I'm ready to be part of that now. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of big personalities in, in the yarny world. Yeah. And, and you have to learn how to kind of hold your own. I guess. And, yeah. um, you know. Right. I guess I feel like I can hold my own now. Yeah. There's a quiet confidence, I think, that comes in doing it for a while too, right? Like there's a certain sort of sense of like, you know what you're doing. You have a, a, a certain foundation that you've built that you can kind of stand on. And then you can sort of start to put out those little feelers a little bit and those little fingers. And I find for myself, some of 
what I experience, um, cause Rebecca's right. There are some big personalities in, in the fiber arts world. And I think that's creative spirits and create, you know, people who are really passionate about what they're doing. They're really excited. Um, and so like, I've been able to sort of, you know, figure out like, who are the safe people, you know, and they become your, you know, there's your inner circle. And then there's the people that you, you're sort of the next circle. And then once that's solid, you kind of go to the next circle of like, okay, these people are safe and I connect with these people and that opens up that sphere. And all of a sudden you've sort of, like you say, you've built this network of people, this community that you feel connected with. And after 10 years, it's hard to just walk away from that. You know, I can, Mm -hmm. I, I, I was in the same boat. I'm, you know, coming up on 10 years with the podcast and you there's, there's a, that 10 years builds a really solid foundation. If you've been mindful. Yeah. I have never heard it put that way. I love that. That's really neat. So you can identify with the idea of just kind of needing to maybe keep the circle small at the beginning as you're learning the basics. Yeah. Well, that's nice. Especially when you sort of, I, I think in a, in the world has grown so much too, right? Like we have access to so many people. Our our global village is so big and we've got access to so many more people than we would have like, say in the stone age village. And I think it's really important when we are opening ourselves up to that, like, you know, whether it's online orders or, or, you know, big social media sites or um, yarn crawls, like all these different things, when we're opening ourselves up, it's like, you know, who are those people that you connect with again and again and again, that keep coming up, you know, in your, in your sphere of consciousness and awareness that are safe, that, that make you Mm -hmm. feel like what you're doing is, is important, that it's needed. Um, I think, I think, that reaffirmation, you know, that you can give to others that they can give to you that builds everybody up. Um, you know, Rebecca was one of those people for me early on, like she just kind of showed up and kept showing up, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, and, and because of just who she is and her personality and her way, um, I felt very safe, you know? And so then you sort of start to confide in each other and tell each other what you're, what you're hoping for with your, with your making and your creating. And that's one more person. And that becomes another rung of that, of that circle or that community that starts to grow and build. And that person brings in other people who you tend to align with because they are attracted to that person for probably some of the same reasons you are. And it grows from there, but it takes a long time. Yeah. And it, it seems to be a matter of just showing up. Yeah, That's the work. That's the work is yeah. making the product and just showing up to the festivals, offering to do a talk, yeah. you know, and, and if you have a good product, people will notice you and ask you to come here and come there. And yeah. 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 And be present, you know, when you're with people and when they're, you know, I find sometimes like I'm, you know, I, 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 we don't homeschool hundred percent. We hybrid school, but you, as a homeschooling mom, you, you would, you would know, like, sometimes you're just, you're tapped out. You can't be present anymore. Like you've been present all day and you're done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I have those days sometimes where I then I have to then turn my attention to like a podcast stuff where I've got to be up in the morning and, and there's something. And I've really found that reserving a little bit of myself so that I can be present Mm. actually feeds me more than just tapping out. You know, if I sort of reserve some of that, we've only, like, I I think of it as like resources. I've only got so many resources. If I can hold a little bit of it back with the kids so that I have that energy the next morning or later that day or whatever, um, they're not getting any less of me because they're getting more of me because I know my limits. Like I can say to them, I'm done enough like get your books we're turning on the tv (laughs) you know right i need an hour (laughs) right and you get better and better at learning what your limits are and learning how to reserve something and learning how to gently say Mm -hmm. you know i need to go take a mommy break mommy needs some time you know and you're right it's it's very life-giving to not only yourself but to your family i think so yeah and modeling for your kids, right? Like I look back and I think 
maybe it was a generational thing, but like I look at uh, some of my girlfriends, we went out for dinner last week. We were all in town. They're friends that I grew up with, but they all live elsewhere now. And we were all in town and we had dinner together and they were all, we were all saying like all of our moms were kind of the same where they didn't take that time for themselves to the same extent that I think our generation has sort of carved out that time, maybe sometimes Hmm. in a bit of excess. And we were talking about um, that uh, two of them in particular were saying it's been really hard as adults who are now moms to figure out how to find that balance because it wasn't modeled for them. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to do that. And the one was saying it's kind of zero to 60 because she wants to carve out that creative time is having trouble carving out that creative time. So it happens at like 10 o'clock at night. So then she's tired and then she blows up and she's like, there's, there's gotta be something else <laughs> somewhere in between. Yeah. 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 The world of mothering has changed so much. Yeah. yeah. You know, these decades. Yeah. And the thing I, I like the most of what, what I'm seeing is that there's more and more acceptance for different parenting styles, mm. different schooling styles different it seems like there's more acceptance for people being more individuals yeah I feel like when my parents were growing up it was kind of like okay if you're a human being this is how you're supposed to act Mm. one you know kind of there's one Mm -hmm. everybody does this and then Thanksgiving everybody does this and at Memorial Day everybody has a barbecue and um you know there was certain standards that everybody just held to and um that's an exaggeration of course and it was that was very much the case in their circle yeah yeah right it's a complete that's just a complete one-sided picture of the world Mm -hmm. that I grew up with but it just seems like over time my generation started breaking out of that box I grew up in the seventies and eighties. And then um, Rebecca's generation has continued to break out of that box. And also with, you know, more and more um, immigration, which I love, you know, the different cultures, mm-hmm. you know, crisscrossing all over the place. I think it's all good. You know, that we're allowed to be individuals. Any skirt line is acceptable. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> You can wear long skirts, you can wear mini skirts, you can wear tight pants, you can wear bell bottoms. It's, I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think the- what your generation did, did model, because you were kind of, Rachel, your, your parents are more boomer age. My or, parents are boomers. Yeah. Your yeah. parents are boomers. Her parents are a good bit older than you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you were really like late, late boomers, early, mm-hmm. early Gen Xers, like mm-hmm. right in the middle. And then your parents are like early boomers. Okay. And your generation, I think, modeled for us just like making your own way. Because mm-hmm. like you guys all had to be different from your parents because it wasn't, you just had to make your own way in a changing world. And I think that's probably what we picked up more than anything else. Yes. And I think it's mostly good. Yeah, that's so good. I think that generation struggled too because um, I, there's a great book if you can find it, Linda. It's called "Why We Can't Sleep" by Ada Calhoun, but it's about Gen X. So, so they're a little bit after like that sort of bridge generation between the Boomers and the Gen Xers. But um, I think one of the things that that a lot of the generations struggled with through that time was being in the shadow of the baby boomers. Um, and she talks a lot about that in the book. So if you find it, it's a fast, fast read. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting book. Yeah. Thank you for that reference. Yeah. Anyhow. Yeah. I mean, I, one early thought that was planted when I was, um, a young mom, I heard that there was this new phenomenon of turning 50 and starting a whole new life. Mm. you know, and as we've been able to live longer, a lot of, a lot of women, some, you know, some women choose to be moms much later and that's, and that's great. Maybe they've had their career life first, 
But I remember thinking that, wow, that's a cool idea. You know, I was really into being a parent. I was a stay-at-home mom. I homeschooled. But maybe, gosh, there's this whole other life there's that I can an have. After. There's, there's an, an after. There's an after. So that, that seed was planted in my head. And then, um, so the timing was just right when Rebecca started her business and I started helping her and I learned by doing that this is what it means to have a small business in the crafting world. And I loved it. And I was really ready that, that for that seed to blossom into a little business called Color Storms. And I've enjoyed it immensely. That's amazing. Linda, do you want to tell everybody where they can find you online? I'm at um, colorstorms.com. That's full extent. I, I'm also on um, Instagram. Instagram, Colorstorms Instagram, and then also Facebook. Perfect. I'll Facebook, link to everything. I think it's Colorstorms Yarn on Facebook. But uh, so those three platforms, and I have some some followers and videos on um, on YouTube. Valerie Moreno and I have done two books, two book clubs, and we're working on a third where we read a book and we just chat about it, and it's related to um, the knitting, the knitting and crafting world. Um, and the first one's kind of neat because there's lots of knitting tips. <laughs>